0: Good morning. I agree with Dr. Clint. Please be in prayer for our healthcare professionals as they work on the front lines and take care of others who are sick. And listen, if you need a couple points of how to pray for those in the healthcare industry, I would say one thing, especially for those on the front lines, pray for something called compassion fatigue. Not that they get compassion fatigue, but that they have the endurance through what really hits healthcare workers and really pastoral ministry at the same time also known as secondary traumatic stress. Compassion fatigue is what happens when we put ourselves in the shoes of others. We empathize um, to such a level. We deeply connect to such a level that their burden is put on our own shoulders and we walk away with it. So there is an emotional toil on us as we work along those and work with and try to help those who are hurting really bad. So what this means is, is we have a lot of doctors and a lot of nurses and a lot of people who are on the front lines of caring for people that they get in their cars to go home and they still are bringing their day with them the emotional toil of everything that they saw that's been accruing over the days and over the weeks and it's starting to take its toll you're seeing it in the headlines people are starting to run down break down burn out so be praying that god would give them an endurance and a joy as they work with people because The folks that they're working with, the patients right now, they can't even see family. So just as they said in the video before this, they're kind of becoming a de facto family for them. So be praying because it's a Christ-like suffering that they're going through. And by the way, if you know somebody, even if they're far from Christ and they are in healthcare, whether they're a doctor or nurse or somewhere in that orbit, feel free to tell them that what they're suffering with compassion fatigue, what they're they're walking through, that's something that Christ resonates with because he himself walked alongside the sick and he gave life to them and he helped them and he he loved them at his own cost for their benefit. So they're actually walking and operating in a shape of Christ and that might be a way of relating the gospel to them in a way that they understand. But another way of, of praying for those in healthcare is just to ask God for his glory to be made known and hear me and enjoyed in a hospital setting. And I know it seems odd for anything to be enjoyed in a hospital setting. If you've ever been in one, Um, even if they're decorated really cool and brand new and everyone's smiling, it still is not a place where you really enjoy life. In fact, as you walk the halls and you see the sickness and you look at the faces, hospitals, they, they somewhat demand an answer, don't they? It looks like an unfinished equation, like there needs to be something to come and save it, a hero to come and make everything right again. The gospel that we hold as a church says that Jesus is that hero who will come and fix everything that is broken, which means one day, hear me now, all these ventilators that we're making as fast as we possibly can, as excellently as we possibly can, we're going to put them all in the dump one day, all of them. All of these vaccines that we're racing to make that we're going to be very glad to get, we're going to flush them down the toilet one day when Christ comes. And this is going to be a glorious day that all of creation is groaning and waiting for. So pray that as people are taking care of patients and as we have doctors and nurses working with the sick in an environment like that, that this hunger, that this expectation for an answer would be present in their hearts, they would yearn for the gospel, and that there would be a spiritual awakening, both in doctors, nurses, and in patients. So feel free to pray for those key things. In fact, before we jump into the passage, let's just pray now. Okay, so join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the great work that you were doing in hospitals all over the world right now, and I thank you for the heroism that we're seeing. And when we see the heroes with scrubs on and with gloves and masks on, taking care of the sick. Father, that it would remind us of how you came to take care of the ultimate sick and you, you did not shield yourself from us at all. In fact, you came at a great deficit to yourself for a great benefit to us. And so Lord, we ask that you would give a grace to our nurses and our doctors to be family to these sick patients when family cannot come. Father, we ask that you would give grace to contend with grief and sadness when it just feels unbearable and too much to hold. Lord, we ask that you would show patients and doctors how close you are, even when it feels like you're not there, how much you love us, that you loved us enough to come and live and die and live again. And Father, you did this that one day you would redeem all of creation and that you would undo all sickness and death. Father, we pray that you would make your glory known in patience and that you'd make your glory known in the doctors and the nurses who are caring for them. And it's in your courageous and good name that we pray. Amen. Friends, listen, it's very likely that I'm finding you today with a life that's reframed from what it was just a few months ago. And reframed is a phrase that helps me because I've had to reframe walls before where you move a door or move a window or move a wall itself, where you tear everything down and you have to rebuild it, restructure it. Nobody that I've met in the last 50 days has been able to stay at that same cruising altitude that they were in in November and December of last year. Nobody. This disruption that has come has changed everybody's best laid plans. (laughs) And we've had some good plans, didn't we? Didn't you work hard on your plans? I did. When I built my 2020 resolutions, this was gonna be the year of 2020, right? I mean I thought about my plans, I wrote them down, I prayed, I fasted, I rewrote them, I thought about them, I broke them down, I had benchmarks, I had a plan. It was a good plan. It was a godly plan. And then God came and messed them all up. He ruined my plans. Here's the big question for you and me today as we walk through this passage. Where do you feel like trials are holding you back? Where do you feel like that? In fact, where do you find yourself saying, If just this thing would change, then I could do what I was always meant to do and I could be who I was always meant to be. Whatever this is, it could be one thing, it could be ten things. It doesn't even have to have anything to do with the pandemic, really. I mean, this isn't as much of a pandemic question as it is a life question. You see, when trials flank us and they come in like they feel like they're doing now and they kind of edit and alter our plans and our hopes and our dreams we have a hard time seeing god correctly and friend we know when we can't see god correctly there's no way we're ever going to be able to see ourselves correctly as we've said over the last few months the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about god So as we continue to listen to Paul speak in the book of Philippians, as a quarantined man, he's sheltered in place to a distant church that he loves. We're going to see that you can have all of your plans, your favorite plans, your sturdy plans, messed up, deleted, and you could still be right on track. You could still find more joy than you ever imagined possible. Because Paul had a plan. It was a good plan. It was not to be in prison. It was not to be chained to a guard. Those weren't his plans. He, he had his eyes towards the horizon. There were churches to plant that were going to plant other churches that were going to plant other churches. There were leaders to build, pastors to build, marriages to fix. There was so much work in front of him. He didn't have this on his radar, but God put it there, didn't he? God changed his plans. And we don't find him anxious. We find him full of thanks and full of joy. This passage is going to be helpful for us. So let's look at Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18, this is the word of the Lord for us. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And for the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul being arrested must have felt like the biggest blow to Christianity when all of this was going down. The the growth and the scope of the gospel, it it probably was thought to just retract and maybe disappear. Maybe the church is gonna disappear. Certainly the gospel is going to be shut down because this guy, Paul, the guy, is now put in prison. He was the greatest force for good in the church For church planting, for apologetics, for leadership development, for gospel extension, for evangelism, for discipleship. I mean, you list it. Paul was a one-stop shop, and now he is stuck in a room where he is alone, he's with guards, and he just can't do what he wants to do. Certainly, the church is going to shrink. But Paul's not anxious in this time. He's not anxious in this book. He has a healthy theology of who God is and where God is when there are trials around us. And he knows that God's work is not stymied by trials, but God's work is unstoppable, especially in the face of trials. To God, there's no such thing as a hurdle. Here's, this is important for us to remember. God is not working just despite your trials, right? God's also not working around your trials, swerving and trying to deal with your trials. God is working because of your trials. Hear me now. This is is the theology of our trials. It's because of Paul's imprisonment the guards are hearing the gospel. It's actually because of Paul's imprisonment that men with toxic motives are out preaching an intact gospel and the gospel's advancing in Rome. It's because of those things. We have a hard time seeing reality in this direction because we naturally just grow up with our own man-made kind of put together theology so what we do is we imagine God looking into this situation and maybe thinking gosh Paul got pinched again you're always getting nailed and going to jail we're gonna have to work on that here you are in jail and Paul I had plans for you you had plans we both had plans and now I don't even know what to do so we're gonna have to go back to the whiteboard and come up with a new plan We've got a big bucket of lemons. We're gonna try to figure out how to make some lemonade, I guess. But that's not what God's doing. That's not how God thinks. That's not how God sounds. And this is important because if we see God incorrectly in this season, we will see our own lives incorrectly in this season. And what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. See, Paul's quarantine, it's not a hurdle for God to get around it's a tool in his steady hand. It's not a hurdle, it's a tool. You too, your struggles right now, whatever they might be, they are not something for God to maneuver around. They are actually instruments for your good and for his glory. If you're anxious and you're frustrated in this lockdown, I want you to maybe consider whether your theology allows for God to use your suffering to expand his glory for your good, if, if, if your theology allows for something like that to happen. If not, I'm glad to show you the gospel today because it is a picture of God working through the greatest suffering and trial ever experienced for his glory and for your good. That's a picture of the gospel. Now, in this passage, we get more than just doctrinal teaching. We get the picture of a joy-saturated heart, a heart that's committed to the gospel and convinced of the gospel, but it's yet full of joy in this moment. And Paul's joy, it's not at the prospect of freedom. Paul's joy is not because he just knows down deep inside that he's going to get his reputation back, that those toxic guys out there are going to be sorry. That's not where his joy is found. His joy is found in the gospel advancing. In other words, He's not looking to break out of jail as much as he's looking forward to a fresh new set of guards to come in so he can learn their name and ask a bunch of nagging questions about their life story and apply the gospel to their various lives and teach truth to new people with new ears. Paul was one who would love to plant the word of God in hearts. That's what he was looking forward to in this moment. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, what's also interesting is he says, I was put here. I was put here I mean, we read that phrase that he was put there and we quickly assume he's talking about guards who put him there or governors who put them there how people did this to him but that's not how Paul was looking at reality in this moment sure men did this men put their hands on him men slapped those chains on him and they threw him in there but God is behind all of these things and Paul knows that that's a functional piece of his theology that's how he saw God God is behind all moments. He says this to the Roman church in Romans eleven thirty six, 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. That means that it from him came this home prison setting. It is through God that Paul is being held up, held strong, held joyful in this prison setting. And it is for him, for his glory, that this all is happening. He knows he was put there by men, but he knows even deeper that it was God's kind and sovereign and thoughtful and commanding will that put him there. And doesn't that reframe what a prison is? It reframes what what is binding us. It it recasts what a sickness is, what death itself is. This is important for you and me. I mean, we need to ask ourselves, what man put us in the position that we're in right now? Right? We We like to see ourselves as a victim Did a situation do this to me, holding me back? Did a man do this? Friend, you're never at the mercy of man or moment, ever. That's Paul's theology here. See, Paul was in prison, but Paul wasn't a prisoner. He was as free as a person could possibly be, talking to people who truly were in chains. It wasn't Paul in chains, it was these guards who were in chains, spiritually, chained to death, chained to their addictions, chained to their sadness, chained to their shame. I think what I love most about this passage, and what I think it's helpful for you and me today in our season, and he is very others-centered. He's others-mindful while sitting in the midst of his own trials. These Roman soldiers, listen, they weren't going to a church service in Rome. (laughs) They weren't gonna go to a community group and show up with a Bible and spill their heart out. They weren't gonna do that. They weren't gonna commit or be in an accountability group. So what God does is very thoughtful. He hand delivers them their own chaplain, the greatest missionary force in the known world. He just gives to them and chains to them. Man, God loves us, isn't he thoughtful for us? He truly loves us when he goes to such lengths like this. Look at the lengths he's going to. And friend, listen, if you're a Christian, you love God and he loves you and you are in Christ and Christ is in you. If you're a Christian, God didn't love you any less when he reached out and grabbed your heart and changed your heart. He didn't put less energy into you. He didn't put any less focus into you. He was just as mindful for you. And when you think about your salvation and you think about how excited God was to bring you close to himself, you're left with what David is left with in Psalm 8. He says, oh God, who is man that you are so mindful of him, that you care, that you're so thoughtful for him. You know, God loves these guards enough to bring Paul. Paul knows this, so he's quick to stoop and lower himself, not to preserve himself, but to prefer them at his cost, at their benefit. By the way, this this happens often in history. We see this a lot where people have chained themselves um, and lowered themselves and discarded their freedoms for the good of others. I was reminded of this the other day when I read about the Moravian slaves, which which is a story that I've known for a while, the German missionaries, who wanted to go to the West Indies to reach and evangelize African slaves. So St. Kitts, St. Thomas, there was a lot of African slaves there, but they couldn't get there. So in order to get there and carry on with this plan, they sold themselves into slavery. They gave up their freedoms, they stooped, they lowered themselves. Anytime you see this anywhere, anytime we see people lower themselves, discarding levels of their freedom, giving up levels of their health, to make others healthy, to make others free, we see the essence of the gospel in those moments. Just like we were praying earlier for our healthcare professionals, there's an essence of the gospel story displayed in how they're carrying themselves right now. And it's not just the guards, but there there were people in the city that were hearing the gospel from men who had a bad motivation, and Paul was even mindful for those people. He was mindful and thoughtful for those who were hearing the gospel for the very first time for men who had sick and twisted motives. You say, I don't know exactly how they were hurting Paul by preaching the gospel, but there were men out there that were glad that Paul was out of the way because now they can get a spotlight on their name. So what they were doing is they were preaching the gospel somehow in such a way that it was making Paul's situation worse than it was. That's why he says, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, that is more correctly rendered out, or probably more accurately rendered out, supposing to add pressure to my chains. They preach the gospel in such a way to make my cuts worse, to make my bruises worse, to make these chains heavier. Even in this, Paul was happy that the gospel was advancing. Now, I want you to notice that Paul is not saying that their message was bad. Only their motives are bad, right? Paul hates the false gospel. He hates it. Read the book of Galatians if you don't believe me. He hates the false gospel, but he's not hating this moment where an intact gospel apparently is being preached by men who have toxic motivations. He doesn't hate that. I mean, they were preaching something that was reaching people for Christ. They're just being turkeys about it. It's making his situation tough. And still he's joyful that the gospel is being heard. We know that because he finishes that, that train of thought by saying, what then? Why do I care what they're doing out there? how much of this really matters to me, he says. It doesn't. I think this is good for us, this little piece of passage we don't use very often. Friend, listen, we need to know that we're not in charge of the motivations of others. We're not, come on. I mean, in the last decade we've had more men and women in leadership positions in the church fail and fall out and their motivations become something that's on display for all to see. The the world is full of gifted people Um, with high skill, great followings, and sometimes they have a toxic motivation. Listen, we have noble leaders that are just doing a great job and they have toxic days. Maybe they have a bad motivation behind a single sermon or behind a book or a counseling moment. Maybe they're just not having a great season. We all have preachers and leaders that we love to follow. I've got my own shelf full of books of people that minister to my soul, but in the end, they're just people, right? They're just people, not always noble people. Sometimes they have bad motivations, sometimes they don't. So what do we do with this? Should we suspect everything that we hear? Should we just be highly critical of everything that comes because after all, we don't know their motivations? Or maybe when a leader falls, do we just burn all of their stuff because they had a bad motivation, so therefore everything that they said is not true? How do we handle something like this? I mean, to be responsible, I'd have to say that you need to check everything they say by the word. So you carry their words to this word, and if it matches, you're free to receive it. You're free to receive it. If it checks out and it builds you up, be thankful. Be thankful that God is using people to give you truth, right? Be thankful. Be thankful for the teachers and the leaders in your life. But let's, let's save our deepest accolades, our heaviest praise for the one who makes things grow right? That's, that's probably the best way to handle something like this. I love how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Okay, so when Paul says he planted, that means he is bringing the gospel to bear, and the gospel story, and the gospel truth to people for the first time. He's planting the seed, but then Apollos comes later on and he waters the seed. He follows up, he kind of grabs the baton from where Paul left off and maybe he makes it more applicable. Maybe he says it a little differently, but he's watering the work that Paul started. And when the church grows, who did that? Was it Paul or was it Apollos? See, they were campy back then. That's why, that's why Paul had to speak to this. It was God that did it. It was God's spirit that grew the church. It's God's church, he grows it, right? God is growing his church in Rome at this time, but he's doing so through men who don't have the best of motivations. And Paul's thankful. He's thankful, not for their motivations, but the fact that people are hearing the gospel. You see, I think what I love about this passage is someone forgot to tell Paul that he was supposed to be mad right now. <laughs> someone, someone forgot to let Paul know that his, his reputation was, taking a beating outside of that prison. Someone forgot to tell him that he needed vindication and glory. He didn't get the memo that he was ineffective right now because he shut down. Paul's mind is so fixed on the glory of God and so mindful for others that he can't even see himself in this. In the little bits of him that he can see, he discards and says it gets in the way. This is a picture for you and for me of being others-minded, God's glory in our mind, even in the midst of our own suffering. Man, we gotta hear this today. And because when this passage finds me, this is where it finds me most failed. I've tried so hard the last 10 days or so to put myself in Paul's shoes in this passage, to imagine being Paul in this passage. And I gotta admit, I imagine being a little bit ticked, if I'm just honest. I mean, I imagine being alone and neglected, misunderstood, misheard, unjustly held. I imagine cowards and hypocrites destroying what I've worked so hard to build. I try to put myself in his shoes. And the only emotion that comes bubbling up to the top is anger, frustration. I I want this reputation back. I want my freedom back. I also find that I would be real quick to self-loathe too, to be a martyr, to be a victim, to blame to whine, to retreat, to blame, to demand. Are you sensing that in yourself in these days? Listen, when we're in trials, we ultimately look quickly to self-preservation, really before anything else, we look to preserve ourselves. It's just too hard to be others focused when our own backyard is on fire. We wanna put out our fire first and then take care of other people. And that's what trials tell us that we should do. That's the order of a trial, right? Look out for yourself, then look outward to other people. But friends, that's not what we see in a passage like this. And that's definitely not what we see in the gospel story. We see the exact opposite. You see, in the gospel, we see Paul say, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is the picture of where Paul is stepping in the footsteps of Christ. Paul is very quick to say these words because he heard them come out of Jesus's mouth first. He knows Jesus to know that Christ himself was excited and joyful to attach himself to the cross to advance the gospel in you and me. So suffering and trials, that's just what he was stepping into for our good. He's just following his hero. Listen, when you read about Paul, be careful. He's not half God, half man. He's just a guy. Yeah, he's gifted. Sure, he's gifted. He's not a superhero though. He's just a disciple. This isn't hard calculus. He's just being a disciple. This is something that you and I can do. Jesus always had the posture that his suffering would advance the gospel. Paul just got that from him. We're just getting this from him. We see a picture in the gospel of Christ laying his life low allowing us to ruin him and shame him on the cross. And this served to advance the gospel. Just like Paul, Christ in the gospel story is not looking to vindicate himself. He's not looking to get back at all of his haters and trolls. He's he's not looking to be free of all the chains of mankind. Just like in Paul's story here today, Jesus himself had men with toxic, motivations preaching true words outside of the walls of his judgment in a way to hurt Jesus very similar I mean we have the Pharisees right speaking words of God preaching the truth a lot of times but they were white washed tombs bad motivations we even have a picture just like in Paul of Christ himself having guards who mocked and hurt him there was an official that had his ear cut off Jesus heals that ear and they still arrest him that's crazy Very similar. You see, Jesus was other-centered. He was mindful of others. Paul's very easily able to slip into this and live the same thing. I mean, Jesus even says, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. That's the very pinnacle of Christ's other-mindedness. And it's through this suffering that God brings favor to you and me. It's because of this suffering. God did not maneuver around the cross to bring favor to you. He didn't deal with the cross to bring favor to you. It was because of the cross that he's bringing favor to you. Your struggle today, it's not an obstacle for God. It's a tool for your good, for the good of the Praetorian guard around you who sees, and it's for the glory of God, right? You see, we're free we're free to not look out for number one we're free to not have to self-preserve in order to take care of ourselves above everyone else we're free to really let our lives go to discard it we're free to have our best laid plans totally deleted and Take joy in God, knowing that His plan is where we can ultimately find our deepest joy. We're free to not demand vindication, not to demand a glorious reputation. We're free to be invisible even, to be sub-glorious. We're free to be last. We're free from demanding comfort. We're free from demanding glory. We're free to be slandered. We're free to be neglected. We're free. Why? Because we don't feast on self-preservation anymore. We have one who has totally preserved us for an eternity of enjoying Him. Friend, listen, if you're in Christ, you have royal blood coursing through your veins. You've been preserved. You're preserved. You don't have to look out for yourself. He's gonna take care of you. He's gonna take care of you. So how do we walk in light of a freedom like this? Because it is a freedom. I think we start by asking a couple questions, just some diagnostics. Ask you the ones that we asked in the very beginning. Where do you feel like trials are holding you back? What is in the way from you doing what you always feel like you've been needing to do or being who you've always wanted to be? What's getting in the way? What is that? You see, because we look at our circumstances and we think that they need to be right for God to make us effective. But God's not waiting on our circumstances to make us effective. He is making us effective in the middle of our circumstances, even if they're bad ones, even if we find ourselves imprisoned even if we find ourselves close to death. So what are you waiting for exactly? What are you waiting for? What do you need to be fixed, removed, added, changed? What are you waiting for? Friend, God is not waiting on that. He's not waiting on that. Today, in whatever feels like a prison for you, God is accomplishing his will, not despite your situation, but because of your situation, for his glory and for your good and for the good of the city around you. You've got to hear that. That's my challenge, is that you look at this place that God put you in, to borrow Paul's words. He put us here, and he did so for his glory and for our good, and if that's true, and he's preserving us, and he's in control, then we can rest, and we can enjoy. God isn't going to change your situation so you can be more effective and joyful. He's not gonna do that, but it will change you. To be more joyful and to be more effective in the middle of your mess. So ask, who around you is in chains more than you? That's probably what Paul was having to ask himself. He knew he was in chains but he looked at the guards and he knew that they were more incarcerated than he was. Who's more impoverished than you? Who has less hope than you? Let me just ask you, who does not have Christ around you? They're the real ones in prison. They're the real ones that are chained. They're the ones with real trials and sufferings. Look around. Who can you invest in? What can you celebrate before them? How can you apply the gospel to their life? How can you be thankful? What does joy look like for you? And friend, just as we finish this, there's some really good news for how this whole thing ends, right? There will be a day where envy dies and rivalry dies our demands for glory where they die. There will be a day where our demands, our plans work out will go away. They will all be vaporized by the glory of God, eclipsed by the radiant glory of God. We won't care who gets credit. We won't care about our reputation. We won't care about our best laid plans anymore. We won't. We'll actually look backwards on a spotted timeline of trials and we will look at each other in that day and say, it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4 For this light, momentary affliction, which is what we're in the middle of today, as titanic and catastrophic as it might feel, it is a light and it is a momentary affliction. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Friend, listen, I hope you get an opportunity today and this week to meditate on just your plans and how you feel about the fact that they've all been removed, how you feel about the prison that you're in, your trials, your sufferings, how you feel about God, how you see God, how you see yourself. I I, I hope you meditate on this And you repent where you need to repent and you celebrate and enjoy christ where there's room for that but listen if you're a searcher and a sojourner or someone who's just shopping jesus just looking researching maybe you clicked on this video and you didn't even know what to expect maybe you don't know all the answers maybe this is the first time you've heard some of this let me just submit to you that jesus ultimately lowered and stooped and decreased in his glory, all the way to the point of becoming man, even a man who would die on the cross for your good, you have something much more deadly than a virus. And it kills 100% of the people it infects. There is death and sin in everyone that comes from the womb, but what Christ does is he comes as an ultimate healthcare worker, and he gives his own life. He takes your sin and he takes your death and brings it on himself. And he gives you life, and he gives you vitality and dreams and hopes. It's the gospel. And I would just submit that you would lay your life at his feet. That today would be a day that you would call him king, that you would call him Lord, and that you would enjoy him for eternity. Listen, I love you all. I hope you have a great week. I miss you incredibly. I look forward to talking to you soon. God bless. Have a great day.